It's great to be with you. Uh, it is, uh, Judy and I are indeed in the middle of one of the biggest transitions of our life. And in two weeks, we will be installing uh, a young man, well, young to me, he's about Ken's age, that I've been discipling for the last 12 years. Uh, his name is David Anderson. And he will be the uh, 10th uh, senior pastor of Church of the Open Door. And I will not be senior pastor at Church of the Open Door. And 20 years is enough. It's just absolutely enough. I'm, I'm ready for this transition. I, I'm looking forward. It's an exciting time for Judy and me. And it's interesting that Ken and Pete asked me to speak on discipleship. To speak on discipleship. Discipleship is very close to my heart. It's also something, it's also a subject that I'm beginning to rethink. Um, so let me pray. Uh, this, uh, many of you who have heard me before, it's been more finished sermons. And so I just got to tell you ahead of time, this, uh, this is more of a discussion that I'm having with uh, other leaders, uh, leaders of Church of the Open Door and uh, leaders uh, around the world about this subject that uh, I think is vital to us. And that is discipleship. So this morning as I was um, spending time alone with God and, and writing in my journal, I, I, just, I was asking, how can I help you best? Uh, discipleship is, uh, I mean, it really is what Christianity is all about. And I want to pray that maybe I can help you in some way uh, to understand discipleship uh, not to the point of thinking, oh, yeah, there's, now I can fill out a questionnaire, uh, but to um, understand uh, discipleship in a way that might pull your heart uh, to be a follower of Christ. So I'm going to pray. Father, I do want to thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege I have of coming here at Antioch, a church that's very close to my heart and to Judy's heart, and, uh, and I thank you for the friendship that I've had with Ken over these years and that mutually encouraging and uh, challenging friendship that we have. Lord, I, I really want to do a good job with this. I, I want to represent your heart on discipleship, uh, not mine. So I'm praying. I really do believe, we believe as Christians that you're Holy Spirit is real, and that he is powerful, and that when we gather together, it is an event that he supersedes. So this is what we're asking for. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to please teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the simplest definition of discipleship is uh, to encourage um, and encouraging and equipping another to follow Christ. That's the simplest definition. Uh, as you read through Scripture, uh, it, it's simply encouraging and equipping someone else to follow Christ. That's discipleship. That's uh, pretty easy. I, I think it's important to look at the command. The command, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 28... Verses 18 through 20, that is what we call the Great Commission. Uh, 
that's where we get uh, a lot of our, of our thinking about uh, discipleship, and rightly so, because it is. Uh, you could think next to this would be Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These are the famous last words of Jesus Christ. Famous last words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, typically, the last words, those of us who are parents, we remember this, don't we? I, all my children are grown now, but I remember when they were small or whenever I, they would move away from me, I'd be putting them on the road for the first time when they first got their license, or Judy and I would be leaving them uh, by themselves. Uh, whatever we said to them on the way out the door was what we wanted them to remember. That was the most important thing we wanted them to remember. I remember when I was a little boy, my mom made the mistake. I don't know where she got it, probably out of good housekeeping or something. And uh, just before she left, I was about nine, and she said, whatever you do, don't put peas up your nose. Yeah, she left. I got the can opener. And <laughs> put peas up my nose. Got him out of there somehow, and I thought, I remember, I remember thinking, what's the big deal about the peas up your nose? But anyway, these are the famous last words of Jesus Christ. Before he left his uh, disciples, uh, this is what he said. Then Jesus, verse 18, came up and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is important, probably familiar to many of us. It's to understand what all is involved. The only command there, the only uh, imperative is make disciples, is to make disciples. Uh, the go and the baptizing and the teaching, those are what we'd call circumstantial par participles, meaning that uh, in these circumstances, make disciples. In these circumstances, make disciples. And there are many, many passages that tell us that we should go to other people groups, that we should share the love of Christ, and we should share uh, Christian community, and we, and we could, should share the redemptive teaching of Christianity with other places. Uh, but a better understanding of the Great Commission would be that the go is also a circumstantial participle. And I would rather translate it a, a little more literally, and I would say, as you go. As you go through real life, always be thinking about how it is that we can encourage and equip other people to follow Jesus Christ. And two of those circumstantial participles, two of those means, I guess we would say, would be by baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that he has taught us. Now, baptizing, I think that is uh, simply, um, that is a, a way to sum up all that we would be about as Christians, to move some, someone from maybe not knowing about Jesus Christ, maybe being wounded by Christianity and not wanting to be a part of what Jesus Christ would ever do on earth. There might be some of you here today, and I'm sure Ken would agree with me. If you're here today and you've been wounded by Christianity, 
Here's what we would say. I'm sure Antioch would agree with this, wouldn't you? We're really sorry. It wasn't supposed to be that way. It was not supposed to be that way. I would just ask you, I won't be here next week, but Ken and Antioch will be. I'd just uh, ask you to maybe give Jesus another chance. I think you would find the love of Christ here. And you might find some encouragement here that would draw you to Christ. I believe that the baptizing is talking about all that we would say and do and all the ways that we would relate to people that would bring them from maybe not ever hearing about Jesus Christ, maybe we are straightening out some of their objections to Jesus Christ as we're loving them to the point that they are ready to identify with Christ and his people. That's what baptism is about. And that's a lot of discipleship, isn't it? For those of us who are Christians, we can remember when someone first started talking to us about Jesus, someone was loving us, and we were moving towards the point where we understood, and then we were persuaded, and we actually believed in Jesus Christ. We trusted in what he says about his life, eternal life, and that is that he would give it to us, and it's absolutely free if we would believe in him and that he's the one who made payment for our sin. One of the problems that I'm having with most of our models of, disciple, of evangelism now is that they're all about an event. And I, one of the things we're working on at Church of the Open Door, especially in, since I'm in this new role, of a diminished role, I'm not preaching there too much anymore, and I'm more involved in community and uh, and and discipleship is that we're really shaken up all of these ideas that we've had and I'll tell you more about that a couple of the leaders have come to me and said man when we made you pastor of discipleship we didn't think you were going to shake things up so much and I said what what over the last 20 years would make you think I'd do anything anything but that but I really do believe that the way we are thinking of evangelism as an event, uh, a phrase that we're using more and more in Church of the Open Door, and maybe this would be an invitation to you if you're considering Christ and you're thinking about Antioch as maybe a community of faith. I believe with all my heart that all of us, if we would think about our journey of faith, that we belonged before we believed. We belonged before we believed. And I think that is part, that's the way the Great Commission is that I began to belong. I'm a Jesus movement convert uh, in the 60s. Uh, I came off the streets, and I was belonging to, in relationships with other Christians who were coming to Christ, and I was a part of discussions about Jesus Christ before I believed, and it was more of a seamless thing for me. I was just trusting these people who were loving me, and when they told me Jesus loved me, I was more ready to receive his love by believing in him. And then teaching to obey all that I've commanded you. And this tells us, of course, uh, that discipleship is a lifelong thing. So we have the simplest, uh, uh, the simplest idea. Ken asked me if I would teach on the, on the history of discipleship. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. 
because uh, I've taught church history in Bible colleges, and, and so I thought I was going to use my, my typical, I love this, uh, it's real simple, it's a Craigle Pictorial Guide to Church History, I love this, by a guy named John Hanna, and it's always my first resource because it has pictures, so it's easy for me, um, and, um, and, and I went to this, and you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty alarming, as you go through the history of Christianity, written by one of the great church history scholars of our day, uh, just a thumbnail sketch, there, there's very little about discipleship until you come to our day. And what I'm realizing is, and what I'm beginning to teach at Church of the Open Door and think about with our leaders is, that all that we think about discipleship is a model that's very recent in church history. And this is a bit controversial right now at Church of the Open Door. I got a picture here of Dawson Trotman. Dawson Trotman is the founder of Navigators. I love everything he's ever done. Uh, I am a Jesus Movement convert, and um, I was a Christian, and I was being discipled before I ever went to church. And it was through the Navigators, and it was through Campus Crusade for Christ, and it was through Young Life. And I am a recipient of all of that. And I am so thankful that Dawson Trotman came up with this way of one-on-one -on -one discipleship and that people began to produce discipleship manuals and, and uh, they taught me things. And I can remember sitting uh, with my young life leader and him talking to me about how to pray and, and how to read the Bible. I'm very thankful for that. What I want us to consider today is maybe our, not I don't maybe, what I'm uh, thinking, what I know is, and what I want you to consider is that our picture of discipleship, for most of us when we're thinking, it is a snapshot of just the last 100 years. Now, I obviously, I'm all for Dawson Trotman, and I got to say this a lot. That picture of Dawson Trotman at the very uh, beginning of navigators. You know where it was taken? Church of the Open Door. <laughs> so when I start saying, hey, I think Church of the Open, I think uh, the navigator, I love it, man, but I think we ought to be thinking a different way, mate. Oh. Ed, did you know that the Fisherman's Club downtown 6th and Hope Street was where? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know and I celebrate it. But Church of the Open Door is 100 years old. Christianity is 2,000 years old. Maybe we could go back to the beginning and try to think through what it would mean uh, to be a discipler, or more than that, to uh, maybe God's heart is pulling you towards this idea of discipleship. What would it mean if, and I'm going to ask you at the end, I'm not going to ask anybody to come up, I'm just going to ask you to let God know with what you know about discipleship that uh, you're willing, you're willing, you're thinking about what that means to be a disciple of Christ. So let's go through, here's the word, um, the word disciple, mathetes in the Greek text, the word doesn't occur in the Septuagint, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. In fact, we would find very little that we would call discipleship. Maybe 
Some of those schools of the prophets in the Old Testament would have been what we might have think of discipleship. Uh, in Greek culture, however, and in the first century, mathetes, uh, the word disciple, was a big deal. And uh, it simply means, we have to be so careful with these words that we throw around and we think we know what they mean. What we do is we freight them, we freight them with Christianese. We load them up with evangel jive meaning. And they are simply words that as God was inspiring these authors to write, they weren't coming up with religious words. You don't think so? Read Galatians in the original. There are a lot of non-religious words in the book of Galatians because Paul is a little bit ticked off. (laughs) They just said disciple. Disciple was a word that was there. And there was a lot of discipleship going on in first century Judaism and in the Greek world, and it simply meant a learner. Uh, a follower, someone who was clinging to the teaching of a leader. It was uh, disciples in the the Greco-Roman world and in the Jewish world were followers of all sorts of different rabbis. Paul himself said, I was from this school of this teaching of rabbis. Uh, So he understood disciple. He understood what a disciple is. Let's just look at what following Jesus, this, I'm going to give you an overview of what following Jesus would have involved in, um, in Jesus' world. First, there was the call. Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 14, the call was to be with him. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, he appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they would go through six manuals. He appointed uh, 12 whom he named apostles and they, so that they would go to three conferences. Ah. Not so that they would enroll in a class. So all of that might be involved in it. So that they would be with him. They would be with him. Discipleship is being with Christ and his people. Fascinating in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I won't turn there, but the uh, Apostle John says, here's why I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you so that you might experience the joy of relationship with Jesus Christ and one another that we experienced when we were walking with Jesus. Now, isn't that a, an awesome opportunity. The Apostle John in 1 John says, I'm going to tell you some things about how to be, uh, how to be so abiding in Christ that your life will feel like our lives felt when we were following Jesus and we were with him in person. So the call is to be with him and to know him and to know his people. About 10 years ago, Judy and I, knowing that in our future, we would be handing Church of the Open Door off, really was in our heart to build into the next generation. 
And we were thinking about having these groups of men and women that we would build into. And we called them emerging leaders. And I, we decided that, well, you know, kind of hard to improve on Jesus' idea. So we found 11 or 12 uh, couples, often uh, single women, um, who would be with us for three years. And I just remember the tension in the room when I would gather these, uh, these people together the first time. And I would say, though Judy and I are, are here, we're going to do life with you for three years. But we're going to meet every Sunday night whenever we can. I don't have much on a Sunday night. I'll give you all I have. Uh, but what we're going to do is um, we're going to be with one another. And they were all like, yeah, but, but what are we going to do? We're, we're going to do life. And, and all that tension, all of them would agree with Judy and me that it is the most effective group I've ever been in. Because the Holy Spirit, we were just doing life together. We were talking about following Christ together. We were learning one another's stories. And it was huge life change. The goal is to enjoy him and to become like him. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Turn on over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone when fully trained will be like his teacher. That's what a disciple was. One of the ways that they would say, you must be, you could read this in, um, in first century uh, literature, apart from Christianity, people would say, you must be a follower of so-and-so because you uh, say the same things that, that, that he says, you think the way he thinks, and you do what he does. So the, the, the reason we disciple one another is so that we could enjoy life in Christ and be like him. Luke chapter 14, and I've uh, taught on this here before. Uh, Luke chapter 14, I, we don't have time to go into all of that because I'm just giving you an overview. What is the cost? And this is what we have to understand. The cost is everything. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. When Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, for their assignment uh, to be the leaders of the church, just before he was heading back into uh, Jerusalem, he took his disciples east of the Jordan, where the Sanhedrin had no power, and he poured into them. And as he poured into them, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, period of time in the Lord Jesus uh, training of the 12, he goes out of his way to discourage his followers. Isn't that interesting? He, he has this one message for them. Uh, it, it's really going to be tough to follow me in this broken world. So you're going to be ready to pay the price. Now, he says it'll be everything. Read 14, 25 through 35. Here's one of the ways that I think we have discipleship absolutely wrong. On, uh, on the one side, the, it's called, I call the scorcher disciples, disciples, disciplers. 
On the other side, it is the, oh, no big deal disciples. On the no big deal disciples, it's like, okay, follow Jesus in life. It's going to be so whippy gee awesome. And then somebody begins to follow Christ, and lo and behold, uh, following Christ in a world that is absolutely opposed to him begins to cost, and they flip out and go, I thought I was going to. Then over here, you got the scorchers. And they're like, you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to give it all. Dirt bag. Be good. Do better. <laughs> they go to 14, 25 through 35. They're asking for it right away. I just don't think that's the way to. Look how long the disciples had been with Jesus before he started saying that. So I believe this is, but the cost is everything. We've got to be honest about that. It's going to cost you to be a disciple of Christ who reflects the image of the living God as a father, as a husband, as a mom, as a neighbor, as a, someone in the workplace. Resources are that we abide in him, John 15. Jesus said, when you abide in me, I, my father and I begin to disclose our most intimate thoughts to you. That's amazing. And then, of course, from the Great Commission, the privilege, the privilege is worldwide uh, impact for him and an internal impact for him. Here's my definition, and you'll have to excuse me for this, but I'm real big on definitions, and I'm having to develop this at uh, Church of the Open Door as we're moving from uh, program to discipleship to more relational discipleship. Now, here's what I would say is the heart of a disciple. Uh, the heart of a disciple is, the heart of discipleship maybe is, uh, I think that learning certain ministry skills has a secondary role to learning to invite and celebrate the Holy Spirit's gifting in the local church. I think that disciples are those who are beginning to embrace certain relational ways of thinking that release the divine love already alive in our new hearts into the hearts of others in ways that build the body of Christ so that the body looks like the head. I'll read it again. I, I really like it. It's long, I know. And when I did this at Church of the Open Door, someone said, you need something more pithy. And I said, I'm sorry. That's all I have. But I really like for you to think about, for me to think about discipleship. It's not just learning ministry skills. It's inviting and celebrating the Holy Spirit's gifting in the local church in you and in me. Uh, it's the embrace of certain relational ways of thinking. And it releases the divine love already alive in our hearts. You see, so many, so much of our discipleship is, is not already acknowledging that we've been made new in Christ. I bet I say this 20 times a week to Christians. Church of the Open Door and everywhere I go. The, the, good, the, the gospel is good news to you until you believe, and then it becomes good news about you. We've been made new. So, so there's something about appealing to the new nature. 
So a disciple's heart is, is a believing heart. The disciple's heart is a believing heart. It's in the present tense. It means I'm still believing and trusting Christ for what he could do in my life. See, so much of our belief that we'd like to have it in the past tense, and we are always talking to the non-Christian world about what they need, but for a disciple of Christ, someone who is following Christ, Belief is always in the present tense. There's something that God is asking him to trust him for right now in each and every one of our lives. And the issue is, am I going to control this or am I going to trust him and follow his son? Yeah, discipleship's costly, but man... Is it exciting? There's no disciple of Christ that would say, yeah, it's cost me a lot, but I wish I, it was a big mistake. It requires humility. A know-it-all Christian will never succeed as a follower of Christ. People in your world, they're not interested in your answers. They're interested in your life. And they want to know if they can have access. And if you're the type of person they could trust with theirs, that's discipleship. And I think that there's a desire for greatness in the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about, look at me, I'm a big deal. I'm just talking about uh, maturity is seen in the influence of my life on others. Greatness in the kingdom of God is to have the privilege of having influence in the lives of others who will do something for Jesus Christ. I want to talk a little bit about the discipler today. Um, when I was at uh, Dallas Seminary, I was, I was privileged to be in Howard Hendricks' discipleship group. And uh, one time, a prof went around the room and he said, tell me a little bit, uh, one of the most important men in my life, said, tell me a little bit about who you are. And this one young man said, prof, I'm a leader. I'm a leader. And Hendricks said, interesting. Where are your followers? (laughs) Young man said, I don't have any yet. (laughs) Hendricks looked at him and he said, son, That's not leadership. That's a walk in the park. I just want to think about the disciples' style. Help us all to think through if we want to be. uh, A Christ-centered leader lives to mature others and to release them to their destiny in Christ. That's what 
our lives should be about. Paul says at the end of the book of Romans, he said, consider me a priest who offers worship to Jesus, to, to God, and my offering is you. Isn't that interesting? My offering is you. He says in 2 Corinthians, you guys are the ones who are writing the story of my legacy. The best thing we can do for the people that we're discipling is to become mature because the more we're like Jesus, the more people are going to want to follow us. A discipler isn't someone who's building a following. A, A discipler is someone who is building into followers. That's a big difference. And I, it took me years to change the vocabulary at church the open door. A guy would go, yeah, I want you to meet my disciple. And I would always say, this, Bubba, you have no disciples. Jesus has disciples. And he's given you the privilege of doing life with one of them for a while. Got a picture here of Howard Hendricks. Uh, this is Prof. Hendricks. This is what he looked like when I was at seminary. And we, we were going to this little church full of seminary students, Garland Bible Fellowship. And I came home uh, from seminary one day, and, and uh, Judy was laughing to herself. I said, what's so funny? She goes, man, you would not believe what happened today in our Bible study, in the women's Bible study at Garland Bible Fellowship. And I really, what? what? She said, well, ladies were all talking. That's, they were all in their the 20s and 30s then. And she, fascinating to me, she said, the ladies were all talking about who is the best-looking prof at Dallas Seminary. I said, really? That's kind of weird. She goes, I don't know. That's what they were talking about. I said, who'd you pick? She goes, I'm not telling you. (laughs) Hope he looked like me. But she said, here's what, she said, so many of them said, I think Prof Hendricks is the best-looking prof at Dallas Seminary. You could be kidding me. He's five six. He's bald. He's dumpy. She said, "I know." They were saying things like, "I such a sharp dresser." You know what was attracting them to Howard Hendricks? The same thing attracted me to Howard Hendricks. He was like Jesus Christ. You want to be a discipler? It'd be like Christ. A disciple's credibility. Effective disciples and leaders have stories to tell that include suffering so that they desperately solicit your prayers. Every time Paul describes his ministry, he says, it's what Christ's doing through me. It's really tough. Please pray for me. It's what Christ is doing through me. It's really tough. Please pray for me. It's what Christ is doing through me. It's really tough. Please pray for me. This afternoon, I'm going to be teaching on, um, on, on uh, leadership and building community with Shepherd's House and Kilns and Antioch. We're going to spend an hour and a half talking about the privilege of suffering for Jesus Christ and how there's a one-to-one correspondence with those who, who want to be affected. Uh, the next picture is a buddy of mine, Dave Burchett. Dave is on the right. That's the only picture I can find of him. 
Uh, Dave is on, yeah, Dave's on the right. I don't know who the other guy is. He's uh, some sports writer. But Dave is a TV director. He's won Emmys, uh, sports TV director. And I've known him for over three decades. And Dave and Joni are just two of the people that speak into my life. He's one of my closest friends. He's one of, those, one of that group of guys, those couples that Judy and I gather with every year. And we speak in one another. And uh, this is how real it is for us. Joni has my number on speed dial. And Judy has Dave's on speed dial. And um, when I get out of hand, she'll call, hey, Dave, Eddie's doing it again. Hey, hey, Dave, yeah, what's going on? But there was a young man uh, in our church who uh, who I was in a discipling relationship with, and he was thinking about no longer being a pastor at Church of the Open Door, and he was interested in pursuing higher education and doing New Testament studies. So I, had to, I took him to Dallas Seminary to uh, get it. You guys have had Dan Wallace. Uh, Dan Wallace had invited him in to be one of his main guys to pursue a PhD. Uh, he ended up making a decision to go to St. Andrews and study under N.T. Wright, which was probably a pretty good decision. But while we were in uh, Dallas, we were staying with Dave and Joni. I'll never forget what this young man, Matt, said to me. He said, um, if I lived in Dallas, I would want Dave to be my discipler. I said, why? Because he's an Emmy award-winning, um, you know, TV director? He goes, nah. He has an Emmy? Went, yeah, look, it's right in there. And we all, we both looked at it and went, whoa, look at that thing, man. I always tell Dave, if we ever, you know, like, play Clue, I'm going to use it for my little thing to go around the board. <laughs> he said, No. Um, and I've just known Dave for all these years. He said, is what he, did, did they really go through all that? And I said, you mean burying a baby? Uh-huh. You mean having their home invaded under gunpoint for 24 hours? Uh-huh. You mean Joni's five-year-long battle with cancer? Yeah. And Matt said, that's the guy I'll follow. He suffered and he's still following Jesus. And then impact for Christ, the disciples' influence and impact. Um, our impact may be worldwide and eternal, but the influence, and it always begins Personally. First Thess 2, 7 and 8, Paul says, but we were gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And having this a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. If you want to be a discipler, you've got to realize that it always begins with personal influence. Touch is personal. Meeting some of my favorite people. This is one of them there. His name's Clyde Cook. Clyde's in heaven now. Uh, he, <laughs> um, he was president of Biola and Talbot. And when I uh, became pastor of Church of the Open Door 20 years ago, as you may imagine, with a big deal church, they brought all these dignitaries in. And they all spoke, and 
Uh, I had never met Clyde. And afterward, Clyde walked up to me and he said, shook my head and and he said, uh, I was a missionary sent out by Church of the Open Door years ago. Um, If you need me, call me. If you need me, call me. And in the blur of being a new pastor, I forgot all about it. And then he called me. And he said, I can't believe you don't need me. And I said, Dr. Cook, he kept saying, call me Clyde. I I never could. I just couldn't. (laughs) I said, Dr. Cook, I need you. And that man, every six weeks, uh, we would meet, and I would pour out my heart, and I would tell him what was going on, and he would give me advice. (laughs) give me some powerful ammunition. Man, those first seven years, I never would have made it without Clyde Cook because some of the weirdest ideas would come up among our leaders. And Clyde was like, at Church the Open Door, I went, God, Clyde. And I was able to say, well, that's interesting that you guys think that that's what I should do. But I was talking to Clyde. Uh, the week I almost died at University Hospital, he called me every single day. Ed, I'm real busy. Um, I'm going to pray for you. He'd pray like 10 minutes on the phone. He would write me. One time I got a letter from him, said, I was listening to your sermon, which made me feel a little weird. Found out he listened to every one of my sermons. He said, uh, Ed, you need to think of another transition besides and so. <laughs> right. uh, at Clyde Cook's memorial service, I was one of the speakers. Nobody talked about a Bible school president. Nobody talked about a missionary. Everybody talked about a father, a friend, and a mentor. Um, I miss him every day of my life. And that's what we should want our life to be about. That we're so much a part of another person's life that they would miss us. Not because we shamed them and guilted them. Not because we shared profound truths. uh, But because we loved them in the name of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. Here's what we've learned. Our influence for Jesus depends on our willingness to humbly and lovingly equip and release others to their destiny in Christ. I just want to take these last few seconds to speak to those of you who think that discipleship 
is for other people. It is not. It is for you. If you are new in Christ, your heart wants to follow. Don't miss the joy. Don't miss the privilege of following Christ and becoming the father that Christ can make you, the mother that Christ can make you, the friend that Christ could make you, the voice for justice that Christ could make you. And I know because I know their hearts. That's why they asked me to speak on this today. I'm speaking for Ken, I'm speaking for Pete, I'm speaking for the elders of Antioch Church. They are inviting you. to let them into your life. So that they can love you in the name of Christ. And you will never be the same. And so our Father, at this our holy moment, I don't know if I said anything good, I just feel very strongly that your spirit wants, I know that your spirit wants every Christian here to say to you right now, man, I want to follow Christ. I want my life to be, to be different and to make a difference. And I understand that the only way that can happen is by humbly submitting to the love of those that you are calling into my life through this community of Antioch. God, please... Please, please, please overcome objections by the power of your spirit. And I pray that many would say right now, Jesus, I'm all in on this love and being loved by others. In the name of Christ, I pray in his precious name. Amen.